This talk is about the genetics of obesity. Um, something that there's a lot of discussion about at the moment. Uh, but I should say that the idea that obesity might have a genetic basis is almost as old, in, old as Mendelian genetics itself. Um, when it was initially elaborated, it was poorly so, but nonetheless the idea was there. In 1907, Carl von Norden delineated two types of obesity, exogenous and endogenous. In this formulation, the exogenous form of obesity, which was seen as being the most common at the time, was the consequence of external factors such as excessive food consumption. Endogenous obesity, on the other hand, was seen as being usually caused by physiological disorders such as hypothyroidism or other thyroid disorders and was taken to be innate, <coughs> or, if we put it in present-day terms, genetic. Energy balance models of obesity dominated medical research and obesity for the first half of the 20th century and right up to the 1980s. Modern genetics, post Watson and Crick, that is 1953, had little influence on obesity research initially, perhaps because obesity wasn't viewed as a pressing medical problem in the 1950s and the 1960s. The shift to modern genetics thinking in obesity science was initiated by the work of James Neal in Michigan, who put forward the thrifty genotype hypothesis for understanding the emergence of type 2 diabetes in modernising populations, that is, you know, in countries that were economically developing and uh, you know, unlike the Western nations, but we're seeing rapid increases in obesity rates. In 1962, James Neal viewed the then undiscovered genes that could predispose to type 2 diabetes as having been advantageous to individuals and populations prior to modernization, but becoming detrimental thereafter. By the end of the 1970s, significant rates of type 2 diabetes and obesity had been observed together in populations outside of the Euro-American mainstream, in places like Samoa and the Cook Islands in the Pacific, and in South Africa among non-white populations, and in Australia among remote indigenous popular Australian populations, all of this lending observational support to James Neal's hypothesis. <coughs> <coughs> Genetic research into obesity from the 1980s primarily involved the development of an understanding of the genetics of energy balance, initially using monogenic rodent models of obesity. Linkages between the genetic and physiological study of obesity became possible with the identification of the OB gene product leptin, as well as the leptin receptor and the agouti gene and the agouti-related protein. Subsequent modification of the thrifty genotype hypothesis, again by James Neal and his colleagues in 1998, formally considered conditions associated with diabetes, including body fatness, to have been adaptive in the remote past, but to have become disadvantageous to health in recently changed environments. Type 2 diabetes, obesity and hypertension then came to be described as syndromes of impaired genetic homeostasis, also as civilization syndromes and also as altered lifestyle style syndromes. Something was wrong and, uh, and these broad terms helped to, you know, at least frame the idea in the absence of any, any firm genetics at the time as we know it now. Maladaptive traits associated with a modified thrifty genotype hypothesis included the tendency to overeat as well as obesity, 
It included the environments in which these mal- um, the environments in which these maladaptive traits presented were subsequently described as being obesogenic by Boyd Swinburne and his colleagues in Australia in 1999. Jim Neal and his colleagues argued that thrifty genotypes were multiple, having undergone selection in different ways in different populations and in response to different kinds of environmental pressure. An alternative to the thrifty genotype idea was developed in the 2000s by John Spiegman. This was the drifty genotype idea, which posited that, posited that most mutations in obesity susceptibility genes are neutral, having drifted over evolutionary time and had not yet undergone natural selection as proposed by James Neal in 1962 and 1998. The drifty genotype model of obesity doesn't contradict the thrifty genotype hypothesis with respect to homeostasis and ecological energy balance, but it suggests that there could be many pathways to the genetic regulation of energy balance, and it speaks to the large number of genotypes now known to be linked to energy imbalance and obesity. Since all aspects of metabolism are under genetic control, and the expression of obesity phenotypes is much more limited than the expression of peptides that regulate metabolism, it's been argued that natural selection for the capacity to save and store energy is likely to to have taken place for different genes with the same phenotypic result. John Speakman also considered in 2013 the possibility that obesity may never have existed in human evolutionary history except in individuals with unusual genetic modifications, such as those found in people with monogenic forms of obesity now. Another perspective that has followed in response to Speakman's argument of 2013 is another modification of the thrifty genotype hypothesis in which genes that predispose to obesity are seen as being maladapted byproducts of positive selection on another advantageous trait, whatever that might be. An example of such selection might be for differences in bodily brown adipose tissue content and composition due to differential exposure to cold, hot and temperature seasonal environments of ancestral modern humans between 70,000 years ago and 20,000 years ago. So brown adipose tissue is, is, is believed to generate heat when individuals are, are, are subjected to cold. And if you generate heat, rather than turning it into bodily energy, then it's a way of burning off energy for free almost. <coughs> According to Diane Celaya and his colleagues, genes essential to survival, especially in newborn or young children, such as those that control thermoregulation, would have been of greater importance than thrifty genes because they would have allowed survival to reproductive age. One such gene, essential for body temperature maintenance in cold climates, is uncoupling protein 1 gene, UCP1, which is highly expressed in brown adipose tissue. Celaya and his colleagues also viewed different susceptibilities to obesity between geographical populations as being due to differential exposures to climatic selection events that began when modern humans migrated out of Africa around 70,000 years ago. This position is supported by an analysis of population genetic variation, the UCP1 gene, the uncoupler protein 1 gene. The frequency of a single nucleotide polymorphism associated with thermogenesis, and this is called UCP1, 
3826A, uh, doesn't matter what the name is, but it's a very specific form. Um, it's highest in European populations, clustering at the latitudes with the least solar ra radiation, showing them to be most cold adapted. Migration to northern latitudes would have necessitated the selection of genes for cold adaptation, such as those that enhance thermogenesis. Due to their secondary effects on metabolism, adiposity and energy expenditure, they would have been key to the low genetic predisposition to obesity in Western populations now. East Asian populations cluster at similar latitudes to Europeans, but they have low frequencies of UCP13826A, suggesting that they are less cold adapted by this mechanism and perhaps more predisposed to obesity. By the same measure, again, UCP13826A, African populations are the least cold adapted and perhaps the most susceptible to obesity. So, from that very specific genetics of obesity um, <coughs> to you know, broader investigations in the genome in relation to obesity, we know that predispositions to obesity are both genetic and evolved. They're also epigenetic and developmental, everything together, genes, environment, life course, life history, everything together. Gene-based investigations have shown that the vast majority of obesity is related to more than one gene locus, each accounting for only a part of phenotypic variance. Although there's one common gene variant that's more closely associated with population obesity than any other. That's the FTO gene. People who are homozygous for a particular allele of this FTO gene are 1.67 times more likely to be obese than those not carrying this allele. That is, two-thirds higher likelihood of becoming obese than people who don't carry it. All, all things being equal in the environment, of course. Of nearly 39,000 study participants in research carried out by Tim Frayling and his colleagues in the mid-2000s, 16% carried this particular risk, obesity risk allele, so very common. There are interactions between different obesity susceptibility genes as well as gene dosage effects such that people carrying heterozygotes for such genes are less likely to be obese than people carrying homozygotes. The search for obesity-related genes using genome-wide association studies, GWAS, um, in brief as it's called, has led to the identification of more than 20 obesity-related loci as determined by the statistical association with the anthropometric body size phenotypes of body mass index, of body weight, waist circumference, as well as of waist-hip ratio. More recently, Genome-wide association studies have identified 39 loci associated with body mass index alone. The functions of obesity-related genes remain poorly understood, however, there being no current consensus concerning the genetic basis of obesity. The 20 loci identified by 2009 altogether explain less than 2% of inter-individual variation in body mass index while in 2015 the proportion of variance in BMI that could be explained by known obesity polymorphisms was between 1 and 4%. It 
It's been suggested that some of the missing genetic contribution to obesity phenotype variation might be due to the existence of large numbers of low-penetrance common polymorphisms that are associated with body mass index. So, then the gene hunt went further to see if such missing genetic contributions could be found. The best effort in finding such missing genetic contribution came from Zhang Yang and a consortium of international researchers in 2011. They, can, they included in their analysis the additive effects of over 500,000 autosomal single nucleotide polymorphisms genotyped on over 11,000 unrelated, uh, unrelated individuals, which collectively explained 17% of population variance in BMI. So, adding to the total sum of mm, obesity that could be explained by genetics, but still falling far short of the expected variation. To explain this, what would we expect? Well, the heritability of the body mass index, one obesity phenotype, lies between 47% and 90%, and a genetic model of obesity should be able to explain such levels of variance. So it's a significant gap. In acknowledgement of this significant gap, obesity geneticists have called for an intensification of the search for genes. For example, Andrew Wally and his colleagues at Imperial College London have made a case for developing new models of obesity genetics, saying that the genome-wide association study design is inadequate for elucidating the genetic architecture of common obesity. What they don't do is suggest what a new model of obesity genetics might look like. Epigenetic regulation of gene expression may modulate obesity risk, and this might explain some of the gap between obesity phenotype heritability and the proportion of obesity phenotype variation currently explicable by molecular genetics. While there are very many genes of varying penetration associated with population obesity, there are also very many epigenetic processes mediating their function. In addition, failures in genomic imprinting that may predispose to obesity by altering expression of growth and cellular differentiation factors can arise from a number of independent genetic, independent genetic events. These include translocation, inversion, duplication, paternal disomy, all the classical chromosomal things, genetic things that, that uh, people learn in, in, in at a more advanced level high school when they'd study biology. Childhood developmental processes are responsive to nutrition in early life, as well as to maternal and grandmaternal nutrition, all of which may have consequences for epigenetic regulation and predispositions to obesity. Genetic susceptibilities and epigenetic predispositions have laid dormant in human populations until the emergence of ecologies that predispose to obesity in the past 40 years or so. That is, we've all had susceptibility genes to obesity, but they on their own have not led to obesity um, emerging as a problem. In high-income countries, such ecologies make cheap energy-dense foods easily available and frustrate bodily movement with a widespread material presence of the convenience devices of modern society, chairs, cars, computers, and mobile phones, and mobile phones among them. Genetics and energy balance models of obesity are therefore incomplete without locating them 
in the context of environmental triggers, both past and present, for the onset and continued production of obesity. Ecology and environment are essential for the expression of obesity, for, of obesity susceptibility genes, and an understanding of obesogenic environments is a central part to understanding relationships between evolution and genetics in the production of present-day obesity. So, while we may dig deeper into the genetics of obesity and hopefully come to, you know, explain most of, most of the genetics of obesity that we, we might expect to be there, at the same time, we need to know more about the environment, how the environment interacts with those genes, and also how genes interact with each other, and how genes are regulated environmentally through the, uh, uh, through the processes of epigenetics. Um, the story will carry on unfolding, for sure, um, and uh, this talk may well be out of date uh, within, within, within a couple of years, but uh, um, a story that will probably need to be retold in the near future. Fascinating and important.